Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Church and Culture Podcast. Um, by way of short introduction, I am Alexis, and each week I talk with Dr. James Emery White about what's going on in our culture, how the Christian church might think deeply deeply, and think wisely about when and how we should respond to cultural issues. Um, the topic of today's conversation probably isn't going to come as much of a surprise because earlier this week, the Supreme Court voted to overturn the landmark Roe v. Wade decision that in 1973 provided federal protection of abortion rights. Um, in other words, when the verdict draft is finalized, and mind you, that won't be immediately, but it will give individual states the ability to restrict or ban abortion if they choose. So if you've been watching the news or you've been reading coverage of this, you know, gosh, that the response has been deeply felt um, both on both sides with tears of of sorrow and with tears of joy. And quite frankly, Christians are pretty mixed in how they are responding. And we'll we'll chase that in a minute. But why don't we start, Jim, by just talking about Roe v. Wade. Um, Justice Samuel Alito this week in his initial draft um, said that it was, I'm quoting him here, but he said it was egregiously wrong from the start. So can you just give a brief overview of what Roe v. Wade decided with regards to the act of having an abortion? Yeah, it was very unique. It guaranteed federal constitutional protection of abortion rights. Uh, When it came up in 1973, the concern was that it implemented a constitutional right that wasn't in the Constitution and then elevated it accordingly and that it really took it away from the political process, the political branches and put it at this level when there's nothing about the co- about abortion rights in the constitution. Um, Alito wrote that it was time to uh, heed the constitution and to return the matter of abortion to local states and specifically to people's elected representatives and uh, let the people decide this, you know, let this be a, a, an elected choice, a political branch choice, because it's not a constitutional issue. Um, and uh, all of this was brought to bear because of a case from Mississippi, where the state of Mississippi wanted to limit abortion uh, to uh, 15 weeks. Interesting. Okay. Well, and it's been suggested at least this week of what I've been reading that nearly half of all states are likely to be an abortion once they are given the green light here. So what do you think? I mean, let's step back for a second. What do you think that that says about our nation? Like have Americans always been like so evenly divided about this? Well, you know, it, it, it it's interesting for me. I, I was thinking about that earlier this week when all of this conversation broke. It would have been interesting to have seen what would have happened in our culture and how it would have played out in our culture if, if Roe v. Wade had not been put into place, if it had been left up to the political branches, if it had been left up to votes, if it had been left up to people and not something that somehow was decided that was constitutional. It would be interesting to see how that would have left us culturally and within states. Would it have been as divided, more di- divided? What would it, I don't know. Um, I do know that uh, we are divided as a country between red and blue, uh, and that traditionally red states are anti-abortion and blue states are uh, you know, pro-abortion. Uh, but abortion transcends, I think, representative uh, uh, transcends Republicans and Democrats and left and right and even Christian, non-Christian. Um, I, I think that we're a deeply conflicted nation on this. I mean, I think the split right now is almost exactly 50% down the board, right down the middle on where people are on this whole issue. That even those who are in favor of abortion 
um, being available to any and all at any point. It's interesting how there's still, it, it's such a, a touchy issue where they don't even want to call people who provide it abortionists. They want to call them abortion providers because the very idea of an abortionist, it just carries such a, ugh, like an ick factor. And so this, this is something that I think it transcends left and right. I think that we, uh, there's no doubt that even those on, uh, who are not in, in favor, I mean, who are in favor of abortion, still know that they're kind of touching a very vital moral nerve and they have, even have to use language carefully. Mm. Well, so that said, what do you think is unique then about this year? this time, like this moment in, um, in recent history that, cause this is not like the first time that we've had this conversation about Roe v. Wade, like as a country. Um, so what do you think it is right now about what's going on in culture or government or Supreme court? I don't know that led to this decision taking place now after nearly half a century. Well, first let's understand that this, uh, when people want to make this simply, let's just one more thing to, you know, uh, be, to divide Republicans and Democrats and those darn Republicans, there they go at it again. They got their Supreme Court justices in and see what happened. Um, go back to Roe v. Wade, 1973, little, little political trivia here. Um, that decision was made 7-2, seven 7-2. Two, seven to two. Of the seven, five were Republicans. Hmm. And a lot of people don't know that. And so uh, it, it, it wasn't a Republican Democratic issue then. It really was a question uh, of, are, you know, as if you ever heard the phrase strict constitutionalist, are you a strict, you know, constitutionalist? Like you're really going to do law by the Constitution. And this has been a big thing for recent conservative appointments. They like to say they're strict constitutionalists and they just proved it. And I think that's one of the reasons why that this was uh, rejected. It wasn't so much that, you know, those darn evangelicals or those darn Republicans. Um, it was those darn constitutionalists in many ways. Um, and so I think that's why this is happening really now. Although I do think there has been an increasing trend among young, among young people, ironically, against abortion or against just kind of a willy nilly approach to abortion or like, hey, yeah, third trimester is fine. Uh, you just don't find that, uh, particularly among the young. And so uh, I think that this is, this is what's happened. I think that the real reason now is that you do have an abundance of not just conservatives or Republican appointees, because again, Roe v. Wade was done largely by Republicans, um, but strict constitutionalists. Well, we've talked about how Americans in general are divided on this, but it's not just Americans in general, like Christians are divided on the issue of abortion, the response to this week's decision. But I think part of the reason is that um, the topic of abortion, it's not just singular in nature. It's not like you just have one opinion about it, right? Like there are, I, I would say several layers of moral issues at play with regards to this conversation. Can you, can you break down what some of those issues are, oh, why yeah. it's not so straightforward? Well, obviously you have the sanctity of life. Uh, and I think that among Christians, that particular moral issue is clear, the sanctity of life, that we were made in the image of God. Um, but where, uh, where it starts to break down or a little bit becomes more complex is, so when, when does life begin? Um, and that's always been at the center of this debate. Um, and it's not just, you know, uh, and issues related to things like insolment, which is something that you don't hear often talked about in this conversation. Um, but I think to me, to me, it's central which is uh, when does, it, it's not just when does like 
biological life. I mean, there's life in a sperm, there's life in an egg and, you know, independent, like we're talking about when does human life begin? And historically and theologically, the word has been ensoulment. When is, when does a soul attach to a human body? Cause it's the soul that lives on after this body. This body is nothing but flesh. It's the soul that matters. That is eternal. That makes us human. It's the soul that is the heart of the image of God. And so uh, when does ensoulment take place? And so that's a, an issue here. There's circumstances related to um, these things, such as uh, the, the, the the circumstances around the, the, the pregnancy. Was it rape? Was it incest? And also is a mother's life in danger as a result of the pregnancy? Um, and, uh, and so, um, so, and, and, and if, and again, if you say that it is insolment, so is that at conception? Is that later at around the 12, 13 week mark with brain waves? Uh, we tend to define, you know, uh, death by brain death. So is that also when life begins around 12 weeks? That is also when, interestingly, when you can no longer just take an oral abortifacent, but you know, it, that ends and from then on it becomes more invasive so there's something about most miscarriages happen within that first 12 weeks so there's a lot of you know co thoughtful conversation about when does insolment take place and so i think that uh christians at least are clear that second and third trimester abortions would be um it'd be hard to find justification for uh unless perhaps the mother's life grew to be in danger that was unaware of prior to that that would be you know one of the few things you could think of um, because then you've got life and life and almost life attacking life and, and, you know, um, but, uh, but from that conception to 12 week period, or even before that, if you want to bring the Catholics into the conversation in terms of birth control issues, um, uh, until, you know, the 12 week, that's where there's more disagreement, but those are some of the basic moral issues. Okay. So essentially, if I'm hearing you correctly, where Christians are united on this is is believing in the sanctity of life, right? Like we worship a God who we believe created us, that we did not make ourselves. And so we we also don't have the right always necessarily to say this should be or should not be created because that's not our right. That's not our role. God created us. But where the variation or the disagreement can come to play is what you were mentioning with, well, when does life actually start mm -hmm. or when does ensoulment take place? So that's kind of a little bit about that, right? Yeah, yeah. And and Catholics for like, for example, for our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, they for them, it's not just it's not just about conception, but feeling like you, you can't, you shouldn't do anything to prevent conception. Hence, they're against any and all birth control. And, uh, and, and uh, they practice the rhythm method. And you could say, well, that's disingenuous, you're just getting around it by you're still preventing it, you're just doing it by the rhythm method. But they're just saying, well, yeah, but it's more natural and you're not doing anything unnatural to get into the process. But anyway, um, but, um, uh, but yes, there, there, there is a sense where um, it, gets, it gets complex here because even if you, and again, I don't wanna parse this too much, but you also, even if you say, well, no, I believe life begins at conception and you wanna hold to that uh, and, and you're on birth control, well, the, the dilemma with that is, is that you still can, that, that birth control you're choosing can still end um, that, you know, after fertilization. The way birth control tends to work is it's got three stages. The first stage is it stops ovulation. So there's no egg to be fertilized. Uh, and then the second uh, um, is that it, it also can um, work to prevent the sperm from reaching an egg. 
But the third thing is, is that if the egg and if the sperm connect and there is fertilization, it prevents the egg from attaching to the wall. And so as a result, and at that point, most, most Christians would say, or I say most Christians, a lot of evangelicals who believe life begins at conception would be horrified saying, you mean I could be against abortion on the grounds that it begins at conception, and yet I could be on birth control, and I could have just ended a fertilized egg. Yes. And so, so you know, we, we need to think, we, we just speak really glibly about a lot of things, about very complex things. And that's why um, I, I really go after insolment and talking about these things and, and, and trying to have a more, um, you know, so, so the way I would put it is at the, we know that, that, that it, everything that we know from science and stuff points to at least the 12 week mark and for insolment and brain waves and these kind of, and so it's logical for insolment to be with that because humans die with brain death. And so um, unity can exist, um, even if we disagree, whether it's a conception or 12 week, we can at least agree that from about the 12 week mark on, we're talking about life to be protected. Hmm. Well, just the sanctity of life though. I mean, that's, that's a big moral issue there, but it's not the only one that's um, involved in the topic of abortion. I'm thinking as a woman myself, I'm thinking of, you know, the, the objection of, well, I, as a woman, I have the right over my body. Like who, who's to tell me that I can or cannot do something with my body like that. And it's, I, that feels very relevant right now with the cultural context that we're facing. And um, so um, where can we, where can we look to the Bible for guidance here? Like, are we the managers of our body? Do we get to decide that? Like how, I don't know, what kind of other questions should we be asking in terms of that issue? Yeah, and, I, and this is something that again, uh, Christians, many, many evangelical Christians protested abortion on the whole basis of when, when, when one would say it's, it's, it's my body, my choice, they would say, but you know, that's, that's only if this is not a life that's inside of you, you know, I mean, but anyway, but that, well, let me just back up. The, 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 that was the abortion, the, the abortion rights argument, my body, my choice, uh, which I found fascinating that that was the argument that was seized by those who were anti-vaxxers who were Christians, my body, my choice. Um, and I thought, whoa, I remember, like, I don't, it's not about where you stand on vaccines. I remember when that first came out, everything within me went, whoa, you're borrowing straight from the abortion rights movement my body, my choice, and you're applying it to vaccines in the name of Jesus. Well, first of all, you're not going to find that kind of radical individualism, my body, anything, my body, my choice. Are you kidding me? No, no, no. Our bodies are to be given as living sacrifices to Jesus. You do not own your body. You are not in charge of your body. Your body is not your own. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and it is to be submitted to God. You do not own your body. It is not yours to govern. You govern it only in submission and in obedience and, and, and as an offering it as a living sacrifice to God. So that's first, biblically. Second thing that I would say is, is that if, if, if what is inside a woman's womb, whether conception, 12 week, whatever you want, whatever you decide, um, is an ensouled life, you know, not, you know, there's, you, you know, you have that sense where it is now a human being. Well, then, you no longer have rights over that human being to do with that human being as you would. You have no rights to kill it any more than you would to kill. You know, you don't have any rights, more rights to kill it at three third trimester than you do when they're three years old. Hmm. It, 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 you know, it, it, this is a human being. 
and who has who who is is to be viewed that way and it'd be like saying well you know hey this person stepped on my yard i didn't like it my yard my turf i can take out my gun and kill no you can't you're talking about another human life made in the image of god the sanctity of human life and no you don't have the right to do that and so this whole my body my whatever that kind of radical individualism is 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 has no place in christian thought I really like how you nuance that because I think that I understand that response. You know, when I mean, you think of like hundreds of years of women oppression and being told you must do this or not with your body. So I get that. And I see why that my body, my choice rings really well to that emotional memory. But I like how you've really nuanced that to be like, no, no, it's more complicated than that. It's, it's another life at stake. It's not just your body. I think that that really frames this whole argument in a different way. So I appreciate that. Um, but then I think there's also maybe another, I'm, I'm not, these are not exhausted, but I'm just trying to think of other moral issues that are involved that have been make it made it difficult for Christians to kind of land um, in a firm place or united place with this topic. And I think another one is, is this whole dynamic between morality and legislation, like um, less, less specifically to abortion, but really of like, well, why should government even get involved? Like why, like, regardless of what I think or believe, like I may be all on board with, you know, the whole, like everything that we've laid out, but I just don't feel like someone else, like the government should be the ones who are saying what can or cannot take place. What, again, what biblical precedents can we look to on that front? Well, we do have a sense where Paul talks about in Romans that government is instituted by God and, and the authority flows from God. Uh, for order and for law and for there not to be chaos and for there to be uh, the protection, uh, you know, against sin and evil, quite frankly. Um, and so when and so I, and again, we, we will talk about this in a future podcast more, but I will say in relation to this, um, you know, when you think about, uh, like, think about murder. We, we it's against the law to murder. It's against the law to kill someone. And nobody has any difficulty with that. That is a law to protect us from uh, each other, to protect the sanctity of human life. I've never heard anyone, anyone, anyone say it shouldn't be against the law. Hmm. Murder is against the law. We can have robust, good conversations about whether it should, you know, what the punishment should be, death penalty, length of imprisonment, incarceration, and such, but nobody, nobody says murder should not have a law attached to it. Right? So the, the issue with abortion is, is it a life? Hmm. And, and, and if it reaches a point where you say it is, and, and let me just kind of not get into all the debates and let's just, let's just kind of say at the very least, you know, at the 12, 13 week mark, everything points to that being a life with brain waves and a heart and everything that would point to where logically insolment would take place. Um, then uh, it ceases, then, then it becomes something that needs to be protected by law, particularly that, per, that person, because there is no one else to protect them outside of their mother, parents, or the law. And if we, um, and if a mother can attack and kill that child, um, and uh, without any type of law, then that's a tragic thing. And so I don't have any problem with saying that, you know, you know, I mean, let's just take the most egregious third trimester abortion. Um, and where, um, the child could be viable on the outside already. And 
they literally pull it out and kill it. And, and, um, is, is, uh, I would call it murder. Hmm. And, and I, I think there needs to be laws. Uh, there should be laws against it. And, and, um, and so, yeah. Hmm. Well, let's get back to the, what happened this week, right? The recent Supreme Court decision, because there are a lot of concerns as to the aftermath of this decision. But I think in fairness, like, I think it's worth mentioning that it's not like it's it's been easy for women to get an abortion, at least after the first trimester, which is during that first trimester is when I'm pretty sure 90, 90% or more than 90% of all abortions occur, but 92%, 92%. Okay. So, but if you wanted to um, have an abortion after the second trimester, like it isn't easy already. I think I read recently that nearly 90% of us counties currently lack a clinic that even offers abortion. So women are already having to travel long distances, make multiple appointments, spend large sums of money. So I don't, anticipate that there's going to be, I don't know, I just think it's worth putting on the table that's not that it's already been easy. So who do you think that this decision is really going to impact and how do you think it's going to impact them? Well, you know, the first response that a lot of people will say, it'll be the poor. And I'm not saying that that's not true, but let's, let's back up though and address it the way you introduced it. 92% of abortions happen within the first trimester where, as you mentioned, it's fairly easy to address the issue. And there are even some Christians who would say, and that's when it should be addressed and when it's okay to address it, it's prior to the 12 week mark and potential installment or whatever. We can have conversations about that. But the point is, is that um, that's when, you know, if there is a rape, there can be a morning after pill and there can be, I mean, there's time to know whether you're pregnant. It's not like a four week, six week thing which I don't agree with those early days because you're, you're forcing it when women don't even know that they're pregnant yet. Mm. Um, and so I think that um, anything that's less than 12 weeks is, is you're not even giving a woman knowledge, hardly. Um, but, uh, you know, when um, it, it will, it, so, so in one sense, I want to say, and I want to say this very carefully, and, and I, 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 is that, is that if you're waiting that long um, to make a decision, um, you know, and then you decide, well, no, I don't, and I don't want this child, and you're already at the five, six month mark, um, you know, pastorally, I would say, listen, just carry it full term, and and let's work with adoption and and various things like that, and we'll care for you and. And, and I don't think abortion is the answer for that. And so I don't think we have to say, well, that's just gonna fall on poor people because they can't get what it takes to get second and third. I, I just think that, uh, you know, I would wanna pastorally, you know, okay, well, what led to waiting this late and what, can, what, you know, what plan B could there be besides an abortion for this since you already carried this child so far. But um, I will say that the, the, the larger solution is, or the larger response is, uh, for these these situations is for Christians and Christians have, you know, uh, for Christians to step in and to lead the way for uh, caring for these mothers and for adopting children and for facilitating adoption and supporting them with love and grace. And to our credit, the vast majority of homes for unwed mothers, the vast majority of adoption agencies are run by Christians and are Christian in nature, church-based and such. And so uh, Christians have put their money where their mouth is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they said that, you know, we want to uphold the sanctity of human life. And guess what? That's why we're going to have, you know, open as churches, we're going to open our arms to unwed moms. We're going to open our, to those, you know, who, uh, we're going to open our arms to adoption, uh, facilitating adoption. We're going to actively pursue adoption. We're going to, we're, we're going to lead the way on this and Christians have. Hmm. Well, I anticipate that in the weeks to come, <laughs> this conversation is going to come up, you know, probably with friends, with family. Um, and I'm wondering, I think every time I'm, I, I hear, I listen to you on podcasts, I'm always just thinking like, okay, what do I say when this conversation comes up with somebody who maybe isn't a believer? Is this the kind of conversation that we should just avoid because it's easier to, or how would you guide Christians to have productive conversations in the weeks to come about what's happened this week? Yeah, I mean, if, if it's, you know, if you've got someone in your family that just loves to bait, 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 and they just want to just kind of pull it out for a, you know, fight, you know, I, there's an old line that says, don't ever wrestle with a pig because you'll both get muddy, except the pig will like it. And so, um, and so, you know, it depends on the person, you know, if they, if you know, it's just one of those kind, just don't take the bait, you know, you say, well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree on that one. And, and hey, how about those Panthers, you know, and, and, and so you deflect and just don't take it. But if you know that you've got someone that either the, the whole dinner table conversation is authentic, people are truly wanting to know, like, you know, uh, about it, and, and you really feel like you can have, you know, something worth saying, then I would, I would certainly, you know, listen to people, listen to what their concerns are, and then clear up the misconceptions and where the caricatures are, and just simply say, well, you know, a lot of what you're saying is so true if. Hmm it's not a life. Like everything you're saying is so true. That, and this is something that I've, I've found is that it's just continually misunderstood about the Christian perspective on the sanctity of human life and particularly life in the womb. Um, and uh, which is uh, everything you're saying makes such perfect sense if it's not a life. Hmm. If there's not a human being made in the image of God thoroughly and sold, you know, um, at that stage in the woman and the pregnancy. Um, and if, if it's not, if it's just flesh and, you know, tissue and, and, you know, and, and it's malleable and free, just a part, just a growing part of a woman's anatomy or something prior to that nine month mark and the first gulp of air, then you're right. But if there's something else, if at whatever stage in the process, and we can have a conversation about that, but let's just say, if at least second trimester forward, no, this it's more than that. Hmm. It's more than that. Then can you see why Christians would have a different view? You don't have to agree with it, but can you see how that for Christians, then it becomes something else? And it changes everything. It's just two, it's almost like two totally different worldviews at that mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. And just the the building bridge bridge there. I, yeah, I, I really appreciate that, but I'm thinking, okay, so that's, that's like talking to people who maybe who don't have a Christian worldview, but I was kind of thinking, you know, you and I decided that we should do a podcast about this, that we should, you know, not just talk about this over coffee or something, but that we should make this more public. And so I'm thinking of our listeners who were involved in ministry. I'm kind of wondering if you would extend that 
idea to churches in general? Like, would you suggest that the local church needs to engage this, that it needs to be a larger conversation within somebody's congregation? What are, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I speak out and try to write about a lot of cultural issues. And one of the, one of the things that I often do is I'm trying to encourage pastors to talk about these things and they won't do it or they don't feel comfortable, comfortable doing it. Or they feel like there'll be an ins mass insurrection if they do it. Uh, abortion hasn't been one of those. And if there's one thing almost every pastor has done is getting up there and ridden ride on the, uh, ridden hard on the horse of, of being against abortion. Um, I just haven't always liked the way they've done it. It hasn't been nuanced. It hasn't. Um, it hasn't. Um, it hasn't been solution based. It hasn't made an unwed mom want to come forward and say, oh, "Well, thank you for talking about it. Here I am. I'm so glad I'm going to be met with grace and open arms." No, it would make them run for the hills. Um, and uh, and so and 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 again, there's 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 not this sense of of a wider sanctity of life ethic that goes through to the end of life. Um, and, and, and um, you know, where, where there is a, a consistent trying thinking it all through in terms of what does it mean to have an, uh, you know, a sanctity of life ethic um, uh, post birth. And, and so, uh, so there's just so much that um, I, I'm, I hope they do talk about it. But I hope they talk about it in the sense of a wider cultural solution. Um, and so even if, if Christians feel like when Roe v. Wade is, is removed, you know, the celebration, because they feel like it'll protect a lot of lives, then there also needs to be a sense of, of obligation in terms of, of caring for women who have pregnancies that they didn't look for. And um, and uh, largely, and 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 just how are we going to to walk through that? Mm. Well, finally, I I was thinking of maybe there's some listeners of today's podcast. Maybe somebody is going to share it with a friend or something, and maybe they don't have a relationship with God. And I was kind of thinking about that, like how would somebody receive this conversation? And it made me think of I think in a lot of conversations like this, it's kind of sad how oftentimes we can, as Christians, talk about you know what the Bible says about this, or we can pull a biblical story and be really intentioned and kind of use that as this is why you should or should not do whatever. But then we can omit to mention that we have a personal God, you know, a God who loves and a God who mourns. That you know, it's not just like He gave us this book of rules and then stepped away from history, but like He's deeply involved, not just in the laws and not just you know how the events transpire, but emotionally involved in this as well. And so I was just, I don't know, I was just kind of maybe hoping, hoping that you might kind of comment on how might remembering the personal nature of God be critical to how the church responds to this, or as somebody who maybe doesn't know Christ is listening to this? First thing I would say is, is that we need to remember that we have a God who has never met a sin, you know, I mean, that, that he wasn't willing and eager to forgive, except the unforgivable sin, which was going through all of life to the last dying breath, rejecting him. Mm -hmm. And so everything else is forgivable. And so, and, and 
and can be met with grace and restoration. And, and we just need to remember that. But when I think about the feelings of God, remember that God is, a, is, is, is father. And, you know, you can, when, when you think about a young girl who uh, um, in a moment um, did something that many others before her, many others since have done, will do, only for her it resulted in pregnancy. And she found out and she was scared and she didn't know where to go or what to do. And all of the dreams she had for her life seemed to be crashing down around her. Um, and, and someone could say, well, she shouldn't have got pregnant. Well, she wasn't on the pill because she wasn't that kind of girl. And she wasn't looking for this. And, and you know, and so it was just, it's just this, this sad that she's scared, 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 and just... And, and, and if you don't, when you talk about the feelings of God, God is looking down on her and just with such compassion and concern and wanting to meet her at that point of need and is wanting his church to meet her at that point of need and is wanting those in, those in his church to meet her at that point of need. That young girl is the most vulnerable. She's at the most vulnerable moment as one of the most vulnerable people. And so I, I just think that God understands and cares and i just think we need to kind of enter into this whole conversation with a father's heart well thank you jim I, that's a, a perfect way to end i think i hope this has been helpful for those of you who are listening and just giving you a sweeter appreciation or understanding of god in light of this conversation so thank you for joining us that's all the time we have for today but we hope you'll join again next week Thank you for listening to this week's installment of the Church and Culture Podcast with Dr. James White. We hope it was not only informative, but challenging and the start to an ongoing conversation. To stay up to date with all the latest, check out the daily headline news and subscribe to the Church and Culture blog, all found at churchandculture.org. You can even keep up with Jim by following him on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at James Emery White. We hope you'll join us next week. Goodbye for now.